Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we okay. go. Podcast in the Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is a Black Friday edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. That is right. I told you the last time I did an episode. First of all, it feels like a lifetime ago since I last recorded this show. Uh, I was looking at my notes from the last episode. Dan Mullen was fired. That feels like a, a five lifetimes ago since Dan Mullen was fired, but a lot of topics to hit on today. We will start with the kind of newest craze in college football, the mega extension that is now becoming the the, the thing that everybody is doing. James Franklin got a big deal since I last recorded. Dave Aranda's about to get one. Mel Tucker already got his. And I'm going to look at it from the perspective of both the schools that are giving them out the schools that could not get the guys that they want as LSU and USC are still looking for head coaches. From there, we'll do a little egg bowl. I thought the, the, the narrative, very interesting coming out of that, is Lane Kiffin now getting into an era where an area where he is like one of the more underrated coaches in college football after a 10-win season in year two at Ole Miss. We'll wrap with a little preview of the weekend ahead in college football. Not going to do a ton of college basketball today. I was at that Gonzaga-UCLA game on Tuesday. Would have loved to do some reaction earlier this week, but with Duke pl- or Gonzaga playing Duke on Friday, feels like it's just a good time to wait until Saturday or Sunday's show, I should say, to do the next update on college hoops because if Gonzaga wins on Friday night, we are going to have a lot of conversations to be had about Gonzaga. So all the college hoops will come on Monday. And I should also mention one big, really fun announcement before I get to today's show. Uh, with it being Black Friday, I actually made a major announcement on my Twitter feed at Aaron underscore Torres. We got some merch. First time that Aaron Torres Media, my media company, is delving into the merch game. But we have three t-shirts coming out. I am working with the printers right now, hoping to get an actual product in my hand over the next couple weeks. But three t-shirts for the Kentucky fans. We have the Revenge Tour t-shirt, which if you've seen it, you will love it. Trust me, I've gotten nothing but great feedback on that. Uh, Arkansas fans, Big Pig Invasion t-shirts are here. Indiana fans, Mike Effin Woodson t-shirts are here. So hit hit up my Twitter feed. Uh, If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me by DM. 
You can also obviously always reach out as well at Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com for more details on merch, but I should have it in hand in the next week. And then from there, we can rock and roll and send you guys get your shirts out uh, before Christmas. Always hit me up for any details on that. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is this. It is a great time to be a head coach who is happy where he is working. And what do I mean by that? It is that over the last 10 days or so, we have gotten word of three big-time contracts with two of them coming in the last week since I recorded the last episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Mel Tucker, it was reported about 10 days ago that he would get a 10-year, $95 million extension. At the time, he was only 16 and 13 as Michigan State's head coach. He's now 16 and 14 through 30 games. Uh, From there, earlier this week, James Franklin, who about three weeks ago it felt like Penn State fans didn't even want to keep, were happy to see him go to USC or LSU. He announces that he is going to sign a 10-year extension. And then finally, uh, word trickled out on Thanksgiving Day that Dave Aranda, the head coach at Baylor, is going to sign a massive extension. I was told it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 years, 8 to $10 million a year. And so we have reached crazy, uncharted territory in college football. And, of course, this was all spurred by the fact that both USC and LSU have been open forever. And because of it, these schools have field pressure to seal in and lock in their coaches in the long term. In the bigger picture, what I would say on this is, frankly, what I said when Mel Tucker signed his extension a few, uh, or uh, the, the first reports came out that Mel Tucker was going to sign his extension a few weeks ago. And that is, this is one of those stories. There's two sides to it. And I understand both. On the one side, you can sit there and say these guys haven't really accomplished much. Uh, But what is the alternative if you are one of these schools, right? If you are Michigan State, you may have the next Nick Saban, not even the next Nick Saban. You may have a coach that can one day compete at the top of the Big Ten, get you back to the college football playoff. And so what is the alternative? What is the alternative? You let him walk out the door like you let Nick Saban walk out the door 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it was, and go to LSU, go to a quote-unquote better job for more money? No, you got to pony up if you're Michigan State. Penn State, I know you're frustrated with James Franklin, but at the same time, Um, You know, what is the alternative? You go into a head coaching search the same year that LSU, USC, and Florida are all open ahead of you. Now you're scrambling. Now you're getting down to a third, fourth, fifth tier candidate. I don't know that that was a situation that Penn State wanted to be in. And it's the same thing with Dave Aranda at Baylor where you have a head coach. You you know, you've, you've lost two great head coaches in the last probably 10 years. Art Bryles obviously got fired for obvious reasons. From there, you wonder, are we ever going to get it back? You then lose Matt Rule to the NFL. And so if you're Baylor and you know that Dave Aranda is from Southern California, is a candidate at USC, uh, coached at LSU, is a candidate at LSU, if you want to stay where you're at, stay where you at and have, continue to have the success, you have no choice. And so I understand that element of it. What I would also say, though, is we are now starting to pay crazy money for good head coaches. And and again, I don't blame the school for giving them these guys the money that they have, but at the same time, 10 years, $95 million, a 10-year extension for James Franklin, who about five weeks ago, as I just said, Penn State fans were ready to run out of town, ready to pack his bags and send him to L.A. 
it is kind of crazy to me, and I do think it is going to be fascinating to see how these contracts play out and they age. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of what is going on in baseball right now, where you sign these guys to these big long-term contracts. In baseball, you know, the last four or five years, you're probably not going to get the production. You're paying for the front end. I'm curious what happens with these contracts and what happens if Mel Tucker peaks as a 9-3 and three type coach this year. If James Franklin continues to have success but can't get over the hump, can't win the Big Ten, can't make the college football playoff because, again, we're not talking about Nick Saban signing a 10-year extension at $100 million. We are not talking about Ryan Day. We are not talking about Dabo Sweeney. We are talking about Mel Tucker a guy who has coached 30 games uh, as a college head coach and is 16 and 14 overall, barely 500. Now the trajectory is going the right way, but he is still 16 and 14. We're talking about giving James Franklin a 10-year extension that will keep him Penn State's head coach until 2031 if he stays until the end of that contract. Uh, James Franklin is now in year seven at Penn State, has won one Big Ten title with zero college football playoff appearances. That guy just got a 10-year contract, and the same with Dave Aranda. And so again, I don't blame the school. They had no alternative, but I am just curious to see how these contracts age out over the course of... Um, you know, of the contracts, because I'll give credit, you know, these agents and these coaches know they had these schools over a barrel, had no choice. And now you are talking about historic game changing salaries and game changing contracts and game changing lengths of contracts. And I'm just really curious to see how it all plays out. I'll say one other thing really quick. It is amazing how quickly the media just doesn't care about this stuff anymore. I mean, the media is always funny to me, but if you remember when Jimbo Fisher came to Texas A&M, and I remember because I think I've told this story before, but I have some good friends kind of in the College Station community, people that know people, all that kind of good stuff. You want to call them sources, whatever. And I remember about two days before the Jimbo Fisher announcement came, I got a tip from somebody that would know, and they said, Torres, the money that we are about to give Jimbo Fisher is going to blow you away. At the time, it was 10 years, $75 million fully guaranteed. And it, uh, the, the, you would have thought that they, they hired uh, you know, the Ayatollah or something to, to be the, the, the head coach of the football program. It's like they hired a national championship winning coach, gave him a 10-year, $75 million contract. Now Mel Tucker, who is 16 and 14 as a head coach, just got $100 million over nine years, and, or 10 years, excuse me, and no one seems to freak out. What I would also say in the bigger picture, I think it is fascinating to now look at it from the perspective of USC and LSU. And what I would also say is I think it'll be interesting to see how other schools handle their head coaching vacancies going forward. And let me explain. Because I do think sometimes in life, we think a trend is going a certain way, then there are unintended consequences, and now that trend might reverse really quick. And so let me explain, and what I would say is this. Um, when USC and LSU made the decisions that they did, and I've talked about it many times, they made those decisions under the idea that, you know what, we have to fire Clay Helton, we have to fire Coach O to get a head start on this head coaching search. And the concept is this. You do your homework, you do your legwork, you do your groundwork so that once the season ends, you can have your guy in place. You can't formally interview people at, you know, until the season is over, but you could talk to agents. You can get a feel for who might be interested and who is not interested. And then the other part is with the new signing period, the new recruiting period starting in early December, it also puts you in a situation where you now have to uh, get a coach in place by the, 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 the week after the season so that he can start recruiting and try to salvage a class for the upcoming high school recruiting class and also obviously build and try to sign guys in February with the second signing period. 
So that is why the decision is made. I don't think I blame USC or LSU for making these decisions when they did. But what I would also say is I don't think these ADs quite realized the unintended consequence that came with the USC job opening in early September and the LSU job opening in early October. And that unintended consequence was this. They thought they were getting a head start on getting a candidate in place. Instead, what happened was the other schools got a head start in making sure that they kept a lot of these candidates. And so I don't know if USC had waited until November 20th to fire Clay Helton if James Franklin takes the job instead of staying at Penn State. I don't know if Coach O is allowed to finish out the year without being publicly fired if, uh, you know, if that means that LSU gets Mel Tucker. But what I do know is when those two jobs open and everybody in the media, myself absolutely included, it's all I've talked about on this show for the last month, when they do their list of candidates and this and that, you know who reads those? Fan bases? You know who reads those boosters? You know who reads them? Alumni? And you know who reads them is the ADs. And what ends up happening is USC and LSU think they're getting a jump on these candidates, but instead, in many ways, the exact opposite is happening. It is just putting more pressure on the AD at the school where their head coach is to make sure that that guy stays in place. Think about being the Michigan State AD over the last, I don't know, two and a half months, right? Just think about it. You hire Mel Tucker, you think he's going to be really good, then he starts winning, and he's winning. And he kind of is under that same coaching tree. So, you know, at some point, if he has success, somebody else might be interested in him. But then USC opens. Then LSU opens. Then you're Michigan State and you go to 4-0. You're Michigan State and you go to 5-0. You're Michigan State and you're ranked. You're Michigan State and you're 7-0. You're Michigan State and you beat Michigan and you're now in the top five. Every single week, every single day, Michigan State's success only put more pressure on Michigan State or on, on the AD to make sure that they kept Mel Tucker. And so while it sounded great on paper to fire Clay Helton when he did and fire Coach O when he did, it had an unintended consequence. It backfired. And these ADs had all this time to make sure that the candidate, that the guy that they had in place was going to be their guy going forward. Now, was there really a market for Mel Tucker? Was he the first choice at LSU? I don't know. Was James Franklin really going to leave Penn State for USC? I don't know. But when you're that AD, you start to feel that pressure. It starts to ramp up, and the agent and the coaches kind of have you over the barrel, if you know what I mean. And that is how you see these 9, 10, 11-year contracts, whatever they are, for you know, 75, 80, 90, 100 million dollars. It is because the, school, the, the coaches and the agents have all the leverage over the schools. And again, James Franklin, you might be frustrated with him if you're a Penn State fan, but what is the alternative? You let him go somewhere else, and now again, you're starting a coaching search. So that is what is interesting to me as an unintended consequence is we all thought this is the trend, this is where it's going. You now can no longer wait to fire your head coach until the end of the season because you have no chance at making a good hire. But instead, the opposite might happen. Is, is the earlier you make the firing, the more likely that it is that all the candidates that you actually want end up staying where they are. I would also note, it's a little early. As I'm recording here uh, in Vegas at, uh, I think it's about noon Eastern time on Friday, it's hard to know what is going to ultimately end up going down at LSU and USC. For all I know, LSU could hire Lincoln Riley. LSU could hire somebody really good. USC could get the guy that they want. And so the bottom line remains, I'm not saying that none of this can happen. I am just saying that there was undoubtedly an unintended consequence, uh, you know, an unintended consequence of what happened with this whole situation. What I would also say is this. I'll just be really curious in the big picture. 
how these coaching searches go down in general and what kind of candidates all these schools can get, not only this year, but next year there's going to be big jobs open, and the year after that there's going to be big jobs open, on and on and on. Because I I say it all the time, but I think it's becoming increasingly harder to get these elite candidates at elite Power 5 programs to leave their school to go somewhere else. And it's really interesting because early on in this process of head coaching, vacancies, and hirings and firings, I had somebody tell me point blank. They said, look, Torres, I know guys like you, you got to talk about Mel Tucker leaving Michigan State for LSU or Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for LSU or whoever, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell's maybe a guy that one of these schools ultimately ends up getting. He goes, but go back and look at the track record of the number of head coaches that actually leave good jobs for other ones. Now, there are very rare Power 5 to Power 5 job moves, but it's usually when one head coach is leaving a a clearly inferior school for a better one, like, for example, when James Franklin left Vanderbilt for for Penn State, or like Dan, Dan Mullen left Mississippi State for Florida. Or the other school just doesn't have the money to pony up, like Colorado with Mel Tucker, who lost him to Michigan State when they made him, I think at the time, like one of the five or, uh, you know, probably 10 highest paid coaches in college football, $5 million a year for a guy with one year head coaching experience. And Colorado said, we can't match that. And so I just bring it up to say, increasingly, I think it's going to become harder and harder to peel back these guys and get them away from these jobs if they truly are happy. Think about the Baylor situation with Dave Aranda, okay? Think about that situation because I don't think any of us would have believed. I mean, imagine telling someone 15 years ago, the Baylor head coach is going to have a chance to go to LSU or USC, and he is going to get so much money and so many years from Baylor that he doesn't even have to consider it if he doesn't want to. We would have thought it was crazy. Baylor is a small, private, Catholic school, Baptist school. I'm sorry. I apologize. That is a big uh, mistake on my part. And they are about to pay their head coach probably somewhere in the $8 million range a year. Maybe it's a little bit less, even if it's six and a half, seven million million, $7 Think about the fact that that school is doing it in this environment where we have no idea what the Big 12 TV contract is going to look like once Texas and Oklahoma leave. So it just shows you, I believe it's going to be increasingly harder to find elite head coaches willing to leave one job for the other in the Power 5 level. And I think it's reflected by a lot of these schools and where we're at right now. I mean, think about the last time Georgia opened. They didn't get an established, no doubt about it, home run head coach. They got Alabama's defensive coordinator. Now, it turned out Kirby Smart's been really good. How about my dogs? How about my dogs? But they still got a defensive coordinator with zero head coaching experience. Um, LSU. Last time the job ended, ended up opening, they ended up with their interim head coach promoting from within. Ohio State last promoted from within the last time their job was open. Same with Oklahoma. So I'm not going to go on and on, but I just think this is a fascinating trend, and it is something um, It is something that I, I think is so interesting, and, and it, it is only reflected this week as we saw what I am now dubbing the mega extensions for Mel Tucker, Dave Aranda, James Franklin. And it appears as though I should mention that Luke Fickle, is the next one to sign a big extension. Dennis Dodd reporting this week that he is telling recruits that he will stay. So fascinating time in college football. Fascinating time to see what ultimately, by the way, that LSU and USC end up doing. But just an unbelievable stretch of days. Like I said, I could not believe when I looked at my notes from the last episode that the last thing I talked about was Dan Mullen being fired. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, talk a little bit of Egg Bowl, Lane Kiffin. How about that guy? He's rocking. We'll then preview the weekend ahead. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get to Lane Kiffin and the rivalry week college football predictions in a minute. 
But before we do, this holiday season, I am grateful for our favorite sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. And as a special deal for you here on Black Friday, if you're listening on Black Friday, we have an incredible offer. 25% off across the entire site, and that is on top of using promo code TORRES for an extra 20% off plus free shipping. So go to the website, manscaped.com, promo code TORRES, 20% off plus free shipping plus another 25% off here on Black Friday. Again, it's the holidays and there is nothing better to give that special man in your life or gift yourself, fellas, than the Performance Package 4.0. I kind of like to call it the perfect package for your package. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Let me tell you about each individual one of those things that you will get as the Performance Package 4.0. Lawnmower 4.0 features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming incidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It also gives you the ability to turn on their 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave down there. Fellas, we've all had nicks, cuts, burns, scratches, whatever from our other shavers. Not with manscaped.com, not with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. On top of that, the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds in your noses and ears. Guys, nose hair, don't be disgusting. Ear hair, that's sickening. You'll never keep your lady happy with nose hair and, 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 and ear hair. That's, that's filthy. This nose hair trimmer, 9,000 RPM motor power, 360-degree rotary blade system to provide proprietary skin-safe technology. And again, prevent nicks, cuts, scratches, nose, ear. That's the weed whacker. Also, we can't forget Manscaped's liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Toner Spray. Finally, because Manscaped loves you, they're going to seal the deal with two free gifts as part of that Performance Package 4.0. So Manscaped.com, promo code Torres, you're looking for the Performance Package 4.0. They will also give you their boxers and shed travel bag. Forget the ugly sweater this Christmas season. Forget the socks and tie for your dad. Get a Manscaped if you really loved them. I should finally mention as well that in addition to to the Performance Package 4.0. In addition to the Weed Whacker, the Ball Toner, the Ball Spray, all that good stuff, Manscaped has also launched for the holiday season their Refined Body Wash and 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner. Both features the Manscaped Signature Scent and will help unlock your confidence this year, and it's going to help unlock something else with your ladies, if you know what I'm saying. Speaking of ladies, if you love your man, there's only one gift. Have him smelling good and looking good thanks to Manscaped. Fellas, do yourself a favor. Do your lady a favor. Take care of everything down there. Smell nice. Do it for her. It's not about you. Be a good husband. Be a good boyfriend, etc. And the best part is Manscaped is basically giving this stuff away. Go to manscaped.com, promo code Torres, for 20% off plus free shipping. And then if you're listening on Black Friday, 25% off across the site. So 25% off on Black Friday, 20% off Promo code Taurus plus free shipping. If you're on Black Friday, you get the 20% and the 25%. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all people. Manscaped, your balls will. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk about Rivalry Week in college football. Uh, as I record here on Friday, some of the games are actually being played. Uh, and as I uh, obviously in a minute or two, we're going to talk about the Saturday games. But I also want to go back and I want to talk about what happened on Thursday night in the Egg Bowl where Ole Miss beat Mississippi State 31-21. 
And what I would say about this game, this is not one of those games where I want to sit there and I want to do a deep dive and in the third quarter this happened. Like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. But what I do want to do is talk about something in the bigger picture that I thought of as I was watching that game. What I thought was, I truly believe that it's possible that Lane Kiffin, who just led Ole Miss to its first ever 10-win regular season, first ever 10-win regular season, in year two, that Lane Kiffin may actually be the most underrated coach in college football. And I know a lot of you only remember him from the tarmac, and you remember him from UT and how he left there, and you remember him from Bama when Nick Saban got mad at him all the time. What I am telling you is this guy has evolved into one of the best coaches in college football and maybe the most underrated at this point as well. And when I really think about his career, I do think it goes back to that early portion. And even that early portion, I don't believe, is really reflected and reported on accurately as it was in real time. Yes, he left Tennessee under sketchy circumstances. But as he said when he left, and I think he was right, the program was in a better place when he left than the day he took over. Remember, this was a program that fired Philip Fulmer. And in Tennessee's one year under Lane Kiffin, he quote-unquote only goes 7-6. and six, But he beats Georgia and Mark Richt. He beats South Carolina and Steve Spurrier. Two of his losses were to Alabama, who won the national championship game, closest game they had all year. They had to block a field goal at the end of regulation to beat Tennessee. Also lost to Florida and Tim Tebow, which was number two in the country that season. So you go seven and five, but two of the losses are close competitive games to the top two teams in the country. Obviously, we know how that ended. And then I think the USC thing is really interesting to look at in hindsight, because a few weeks ago, I was reading this article about the whole USC debacle, and he was actually interviewed for it, and I thought he was very kind of insightful and and all that good stuff, but the one thing he said is, he's like, look, man, I hate how I left Tennessee, I wish I could have done it differently, and I hate how how things ended at USC, but he said, and he was defending himself, I don't think I really got a fair deal, because if you remember, when Lane Kiffin took over at USC... They got hit with crippling NCAA sanctions. And he gets the job, and he thinks, you know what, it's not going to be so bad. The AD there, Mike Garrett, was telling him things aren't going to be so bad. You'll be fine. What ends up happening about four or five months on the job, they get hit with a two-year bowl ban, 30 scholarship reductions. And in year two, with no bowl game to play for, he still went 10-2 and two when he was down 20 scholarships at that point uh, from, uh, you know, from what he should have had at that point. And so even when you look at the USC stuff, He wins 10 games in year two, but remember, he came in, immediately hit with sanctions, immediate two-year bowl ban. If you remember, the upperclassmen could all transfer without sitting out, which at that time was a big deal. They were all allowed to leave. You're playing a lot of young players. He eventually goes 10-2. and From there, we know what happens. And then from there, he obviously gets fired, goes to Alabama, kind of revitalizes himself. But even then, he's still kind of this meme, this goofy guy, whatever. Then he goes to Florida Atlantic, wins 11 games in year one. Then he goes to Florida Atlantic, and in year three, wins 11 more games. And then finally, 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 he's at Ole Miss, and he has now gone 10-2 and in year two. And I don't think people realize how tough that is, okay? He just did that in the toughest division in college football in year two at a school that basically has no real success of competing at the top of the SEC. No real track record, I should say, of competing at the top of the SEC. Yeah, I know they had a nice run there under Hugh Freeze for a year or two, but even those years, they beat Bama early, but they couldn't sustain it all season long. And what really impresses me about this version of Lane Kiffin, I think we all think of him as the offensive explosion, dynamic, win every game 49-48 kind of guy. That might have been who they were last year because they needed to be. This year, it was actually the exact opposite. The offense has been banged up all year, and he has actually had to completely change his style of coaching for this team to have success. This is no longer about scoring 40, 50 points for Lane Kiffin. 
This is about a team that over the last half of the college football season relied on their defense. I don't think people realize this. Over the last seven games of the regular season, so we are now talking about more than half of the college football season, Lane Kiffin, Lane freaking Kiffin, and his offense did not score more than 31 points, and they relied on the defense. Here is what the defense gave up over the last seven games. 26 points to Tennessee. And I know Tennessee was driving late. Hennon Hooker gets hurt. 17 points to LSU. 31 to Auburn, their only loss over that stretch. Also 14 to Liberty. 19 to Texas A&M. 17 to Vanderbilt. 21 to Mississippi State. And so when you look at just, if you can argue he's overrated, whatever, he's not that good. What I would just say is coaching at its most fundamental level is getting the best out of the hand you're dealt, getting the best out of the players that you're given. And this year, the best was not trying to score 40, 50 points, but instead it was to try to hold the ball, it was to try to limit offensive possessions, and it was to rely on your defense. And so, yes, I don't love everything that Lane Kiffin does. I wish he would keep his mouth shut sometimes. I, I, I think the fourth down stuff where he's always claiming, oh, analytics this, analytics that. I still think it's a little tacky and lame at times, but what I also cannot deny is that with this particular group of guys, he did about as good as any coach in college football could have done, and if you just look at who his roster is, who they had to play, I think you can argue that he maybe should be national coach of the year at 10-2 overall. Now, it's probably going to go to Kirby Smart. It's probably going to go to Luke Fickle, somebody like that, but when you look at who Ole Miss had to play, because remember, I love Kirby Smart. Love my dogs. I just told you. Love my dogs. Kirby Smart in Georgia didn't play Texas A&M. Kirby Smart in Georgia did not play Alabama. Kirby Smart in Georgia did not play LSU. So I look at this situation and I just say 10 wins with this particular group with all the injuries they had is about as good as anyone could have done and as good as anyone did of a coaching job as anywhere in college football. And 10 wins at Ole Miss really means something. I know I've said it a few times, but I was stunned. First time in school history with 10-plus wins in the regular season. Now, I understand the season's longer now. We didn't used to play 12 games, but that is still kind of incredible when you consider, oh, I don't know, Eli Manning played there, Archie Manning played there, Hugh Freeze coached there for six or seven years. That is a pretty big accomplishment and a pretty big testament to Lane Kiffin. And what I say all the time is context matters with this stuff. Remember when the USC coaching job opened up and P.J. Fleck was a candidate and people, oh, how could P.J. Fleck be a candidate? And I said, look, guy won 11 games at Minnesota for the first time in a century. You could argue winning 11 games at Minnesota is much tougher than actually winning a national championship at a place like USC because they've done it 10 times in the last century. Minnesota had never won 11 games. And so I look at Ole Miss. It's no disrespect to Ole Miss. I hope Lane Kiffin stays there forever. I hope he builds a national championship contender. But winning 10 games at Ole Miss in the SEC West the way that it was this year is not easy, okay? And so as I look at what he did, you could argue what he did at Ole Miss this year is going to be tougher than what Georgia's going to have to do to win a national championship. Well, it's going to be tougher than winning a national championship at Ohio State. And so I just want to give him credit. And the last thing I will say, it seems as though his name isn't drumming up as much interest in the coaching market as I expected. And I'm kind of blown away by it because I'll tell you, this is no shot at Ole Miss fans. If you're listening, I apologize. I'm not rushing him out the door. But come on now. You win 10 games at Ole Miss. You win 10 games in year two at USC. You win 10 or 11 games at Florida Atlantic. You mean to tell me that if he doesn't get the right mega job, whether it is Miami, whether it is Florida, I don't think it'll be LSU. You mean to tell me that guy couldn't win national championships? Because I kind of think he could. So I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to get too into it. But I want to give Lane Kiffin a little bit of credit. 
10 wins in year two at USC before sanctions just crippled the program. 10 wins in year one at Florida State. 10 wins in year two at Ole Miss. I don't think we fully appreciate what he's doing. All right, with that said, uh, let's wrap up with some of these rivalry week games because I don't want to spend too much time on it. We're going to have plenty of time to recap it all on the podcast on Monday. But just really quickly want to hit on some of these big games in college football. And let's start with the biggest one. It doesn't get much bigger than this. Ohio State, Michigan State, Saturday afternoon in the big house in Ann Arbor. And I'll tell you a few things on this. Ohio State is actually an eight-point favorite. I am in Vegas, and the money is coming in on Michigan. And I will tell you, I understand why that's happening. Not saying I think Michigan's going to win. Not saying I trust Harbaugh, but I can see why that's happening because it really goes back to last week and it really goes back to what I told you about Ohio State versus Michigan State. I said, look, I've been arguing Ohio State's the second best team in the country for a month now, but they were also uniquely designed to just embarrass Michigan State. Michigan State had the 130th ranked pass defense coming into that one. Ohio State, the number one pass offense in the Big Ten, number six nationally. And so you put the number one pass offense with probably four or five NFL wide receivers against the worst pass defense in college football. They're going to make them look bad. They did. It was 49-0 at halftime. They went 56-7. Well, guess what? Michigan is the toughest pass defense that they will face all year. Number eight in the country in pass defense. One of the best pass defenses in all of college football. And so I don't know that Michigan will be able to completely slow down Ohio State because I don't think anybody can. But the idea that Michigan can't make enough stops to keep this interesting, I absolutely believe they can. Now on the flip side, is Michigan explosive enough offensively if they can get stops to actually score enough points? And that's where I get concerned because I like what they do. I love Cade McNamara, but I do think they're a little limited. They rely on the run game. They rely on the ground and pound. They look like one of Jim Harbaugh's old Stanford teams, and you can't grind out a 17-10 to win against Ohio State like you can against a Maryland or a Northwestern or whatever. Now, what I would say on top of everything, uh, Michigan looked about as good as they have all year offensively last week against Maryland. Understand it was Maryland, understand they're not very good, but they put up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards against Maryland, and so if you're asking me for a pick, I think Ohio State wins. I would guess that Michigan covers probably something in like the 30 to, I don't know, 24 type score in that game, but I just don't know if Michigan for four quarters can make enough stops and make enough scores off those stops to actually win this game. By the way, let's switch gears, talk about, uh, I don't know, how about Bedlam? How about Bedlam? Because, you know, that is one of the more interesting games because I think, look, we spend so much time talking about Oklahoma, one of the biggest brands in all of college football. This has been one of the most weirdly consistent teams in college football this year. They're the first team that I've ever seen that got worse coming off a bye instead of better. Now, part of it was they faced a much tougher schedule, but they are rolling, 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 rolling against the TCU's Texas Techs of the world. They come back off their bye. They lose at Baylor. They struggle to put away Iowa State. And now they're playing an Oklahoma State team that I don't think people realize has not only the the best defense in the Big 12, which usually doesn't mean something. This year they have the best defense, the number three defense in all of college football behind only Wisconsin, only Georgia, who are both putting up historic numbers this year. What Oklahoma State has done in the Big 10 is kind of incredible. Number three in the country in total defense, number three in the country in scoring defense. Again, only behind Wisconsin and Georgia, with uh, Georgia and Texas A&M in those categories, only giving up 24 points all year. And so when I look at this game, what I would just say is a couple things. Is one, I think Oklahoma really struggles. The point spread is about four and a half, and it would not shock me 
to see Oklahoma State win this game and win this game convincingly. If they do, it essentially eliminates Oklahoma from the Big 12 championship race. It eliminates them from the national championship race and college football playoff race. So I will just say that I believe Oklahoma State's going to win this game. And again, I talked about it on last, whatever it was, Monday show. Don't be surprised. Oklahoma State's going to keep moving up those rankings. I wouldn't be stunned if they somehow, some way passed uh, Cincinnati at some point if they continue to win the way that they are, beat Oklahoma, win the Big 12. Really quickly, we'll just rip, rip through some of those other games. First one, uh, Florida-Florida State. Florida is a three-point favorite in this, which either means that I don't get this line at all or that, uh, <laughs> that, that Florida players are really going to love not playing for Dan Mullen this week. I don't get the point spread at all, yet here we are. It is, as I just said, a three-point Florida, uh, their favorites. I think Florida State wins this game. They only have two losses this year when their starting quarterback, Jordan Travis, is fully healthy. One was by three points to Notre Dame. One was by, I think it was six points to Florida. Uh, it was uh, nine points, excuse me, to Clemson. Only losses with their starting quarterback were to Notre Dame and to uh, to Clemson, and so I do like I do like Florida State to win this game at Florida. Uh, Texas A and M LSU. Hate to say it, I think this will end up being Coach O's last game as the head coach of the LSU Tigers. Obviously, if they were to win, they would go to a bowl game. Don't know if he would even coach. But with that said, I, I you know it's just a bad spot. Their offense can't move the ball. They're down to about their four string quarterback. Uh, their their best playmakers are gone. Obviously. Their best defensive playmakers have been gone all year. Uh, Eli Ricks, their, their star corner, actually entered the transfer portal this week. So just a bad spot right now for LSU. I think Texas A&M wins that game. I think Penn State beats Michigan State. First of all, I think uh, James Franklin and Mel Tucker should go to the sideline and give each other a big high five uh, because uh, they're making a lot of money. I hope they, they plan a nice trip for themselves after the season. Um, there's some other games too, uh, but but those are the big ones. I do think Ohio State keeps things close against Michigan. I think Oklahoma State wins Bedlam big. <clears throat> Florida, Florida State, on and on and on and on and on. All right, it's Black Friday. It's time for me to get out of here. So before we do, I want to remind you a couple things. One, first of all, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But really, it's today's about the merch. If you want your Big Pig Invasion shirt, if you want your uh, Revenge Tour t-shirt if you're a Kentucky fan, if you want your Mike F. and Woodson shirt, if you're a Indiana fan, make sure to hit me up. Make sure to get details. As soon as I have a product, I will be getting it to you. Also, Alabama fans, Tennessee fans, UCLA fans, we are working on unique designs for you and your fan base that I think you're going to love them all. So stay tuned. Also, you should I should mention too, we've got the personalized team pages as well. Uh, Torres on the Hogs for Arkansas, Torres on Kentucky for Torres on UK, excuse me, for Kentucky, Torres on Indiana for the Hoosiers, Torres on UConn, Torres on Bama, Torres on the Vols. If you want exclusive coverage of your team specifically, Make sure to fi find those pages. But that's it. I think I'm going to get out of here. Uh, it is time. It is Black Friday. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a great holiday week. I hope everybody enjoys the Rivalry Week games on Saturday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. I will be back on Monday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.